right. Good morning, Kids on Kids. Good morning. Good morning, Kids on Kids, and welcome back to GRX. Last week, we talked about making more time to love God and love people. And I just wanted to add that there are some things that you definitely want to keep in the box, like brushing your teeth, eating vegetables to keep you healthy and strong. And if there are certain activities that your parents want you to do, you're going to keep that in the box. For example, um, if your parents have paid for three months' worth of piano lessons, you're going to keep that in the box. (laughs) So I just want to make sure you guys talk to your parents before you remove anything out of your box of time. I know a lot of you came up to me last Sunday and said, Teacher Mo, so can I quit this and can I quit that? Now, quitting's an entirely different conversation. We're just talking about making more time to love God and love people. I don't know about you, but as I've made more time to love God and love people, I'm discovering how much God loves me in return. And that is so comforting when I'm having a bad day or a bad day moment. Can you think about some time in your life when you felt sad or mad or angry or frustrated when you've lost a game or a friend got mad at you or you didn't do well on a test and how that made you feel? Whenever I have moments like that, this is what I do. I want you to take whatever that is and drop it down. Put your hands down. You're giving that over to God. And then I want you to simply turn your hands up like this and take in all of God's goodness and perfection and then remind yourself that God loves you. He's giving you the biggest hug of all time. So let's do it together, okay? God's loving you like crazy. Now, in the book of um, Romans 3.23, it says that all of us have sinned, and the wages of sin is death, and we all fall short of the glory of God. And what that means is that God is totally perfect and awesome, and we're not. Sometimes we do bad things. Sometimes we sin. Sometimes people do wrong things to us. But the thing is, God loves you so much, he created a way for us to have that goodness in our life. Instead of us getting a timeout or being punished, Jesus died on the cross and took the biggest timeout of all time. He wiped away all the bad things we've ever done and all the bad things that people do to us and made us perfect. So when God looks at you, he sees you as perfect. Simple as that. It doesn't matter what people think of you. It doesn't matter how well you do. All that matters is that God sees you as perfect. God sees you as a child of God. Simple as that. And if you ever forget that, I want you to think about the name of our church. What's the name of our church? Strange Covenant Church. (laughs) The name of our church is GRX, which stands for Great Exchange. GRX, great exchange. And what that means is that we can give God all of our sins in exchange for his goodness. Now that's a great exchange, isn't it? So whenever you're having a bad day or you feel like you're not such a great person, think about the name of our church 
and practice the great exchange. Put your hands down. Give them whatever's making you feel bad, whether you did something bad or someone did something bad to you. Then lift your hands up and say, I'm going to take in all of God's goodness and remind myself how much God loves me. And to remember, it doesn't matter what I do or how I feel. All that matters is how God sees me. And God sees me as a child of God. So all of my kids own kids out there, to all the cuties and the pumpkins, the goldfish, the Nemos, Cheetos, tigers and ligers, <laughs> we want to encourage you this week to continue making more time to love God, love people, and to practice the great exchange. And we want to wish all of you guys a great time today with your kids own teachers and friends. And I'll see you next time. Good morning, everybody. And... Uh... If you've been with us here in January, you know that we've been looking at a series of messages on simplicity. And last week, we looked at simplicity from the perspective of our time and our activity. And today, we're going to look at simplicity from a different lens. We're going to look at it from the perspective of our identity. Our identity. And I want to start off with this question to have you ponder it. We'll follow this question through this message today. Who are you? Who are you? How would you answer that? There are a lot of ways to answer this question. And the myriad of identities that we carry to answer this question, who are we, I think actually adds to the complexity of the life that we live I mean, who are you? Sometimes when I'm uh, meeting somebody for the very first time and they don't know I'm a pastor, it's, uh, you know, we're in a culture where it's post-Christian and, you know, people are always trying to look to, you know, bridge with you, meet somebody for the first time. They go, hey, who are you? And I go, I'm a pastor. And sometimes you see the blood just drain from their face. Because you don't know, all of a sudden, they, I think they don't know all of a sudden if, like, I'm about to take their confession from them, or, like, I know what's in their heart of hearts. But, but this is a common thing, right? Like, how can we define ourselves? Who are you? Who are you? Sometimes we can be defined by our profession, what we do, where we work, you know, you know, you know our earning potential. It's, it's often the first kind of question that someone asks you if, uh, if you don't know who they are. The who are you question is really, what do you do? And that's identity as profession. But there are other ways that our identity, who are you, can get answered. It can be identity by achievement. And this is a little bit more subtle, but I think it still plays for some of us, um, we can have our identity found in achievement. Who are you? I'm, I'm, I'm in my achievements. It's what I've accomplished. It's what, where I've succeeded. It's maybe some awards that I've won or promotions that I've had or where I've gone to school, goals that I've achieved or jobs that I've really tried for and gotten. Who are you? It's, it's my achievements. Here's another one. It's a little more subtle but related to that. Who are you? Sometimes people define, we define ourselves not by our successes but by our failures. It's the flip side of achievement by identity, um, but it's an interior game, and we define ourselves and live out of our past failures or our past hurts or brokenness or disappointments. Um, I just wa- finished watching this great theological film 
uh, great, great spiritual insights. It's called Finding Nemo. <laughs> and if you know that film, you know it's about a you know, clownfish and Nemo who gets lost. But, but it's, it's got profound identity issues in Finding Nemo. Because Nemo's dad, Marlin, um, is trying to find his son. But what he's really trying to overcome, he's really in this great struggle to overcome his own limitations and his fears and his feelings. Right? So define. Who am I? I'm defined by my fears and feelings. Who are you? Or this. Sometimes what leads to a lot of chaos in our lives is that maybe we don't really know who we are. And sometimes we can be defined more by the expectations of other people, really trying to please other people or live into those expectations, but we really don't know who we are ourselves. And so then we switch from one identity to another identity, depending on the context that we're in. And if we're surrounded by friends, we're one person, we're surrounded by family, we're another person, surrounded by acquaintances, we're another person, and we kind of feel like we're like chameleons and living all these different lives. So who are you? Who are you? And I think one of the things that makes our lives complex is that we as people tend to live a complex web of identities. And if we're not careful and if we're not mindful, all these different identities can lead to a life that really feels scattered and dissipated and spread out really thin across all of these identities. And people that we think we need to be or people that we think maybe we are. Now in truth, we're gonna get to some scripture and see what does the Bible say about who we are. But I actually wanna kind of undermine some of these other places of identity first. Because if we really drill down and think about it, all these places of identity that I've just named are really pretty fleeting. I mean, identity as profession. Identity as what we do. Um, it works for a time, but it only works as long as I have my job. Or when my, but when my company downsizes or I lose my job because of retirement, the tendency is to lose our sense of self. And if you've ever had that happen to you, uh, you know how, how difficult that is. Losing a sense of self, losing, losing a sense of vocation, even losing a sense of status. It's, it's common that when people go into retirement, and particularly men who have spent their whole life kind of identifying themselves with their work, as soon as you hit retirement, a lot of, a lot of guys, particularly that go into retirement, they hit this identity crisis. Who am I? Who am I? Identity as achievement is also pretty fleeting. See, it begins with I am what I achieve, I am what I produce or provide, but then I'm only really valuable in a utilitarian kind of way. I mean, to make stuff and to create things, that's great, so don't get me wrong there. But talking about identity, who we are and who you are is so much more than what you produce or the paycheck that you bring home or maybe that you don't bring home. You're so much more than that. 
there's so much more to who you are and who I am than who we are than a utilitarian understanding. And also just as fleeting is the identity found in the opinions of other people. The expectations of others is equally as fleeting because it can leave us feeling like we're trying to be everything, all these things in all these different places. And in reality, we're not really anything. And we're just kind of pulled. And if you feel exhausted, maybe, maybe you're kind of tapped into this a little bit. There's a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer who's one of the heroes of the Christian faith. And maybe you've never heard of him before, but if you, if you haven't, I'm going to try to introduce you to him a little bit this morning. He also grappled with this question of identity. Now, Bonhoeffer was a German pastor, great Christian leader, incredible thinker during the time of World War II. And he was in Germany. He was in Nazi Germany along with his family, which is a very academic, thoughtful, intelligent, prominent family in that place. And Bonhoeffer and actually his family, they were opposed to the rise of national socialism. Rise, they were opposed to the rise of the Nazis coming to power. They were opposed to that leadership. And through a series of circumstances in 1943, Bonhoeffer himself was arrested by the Gestapo. Um, he was removed from his post as a Lutheran pastor, and, and in 43 he was arrested by the Gestapo. Eventually, Bonhoeffer was transferred to a concentration camp in Flossenburg. And then in, in, after all that time of imprisonment, on April 9th in 1945, Bonhoeffer was actually executed by a direct command from uh, the German authorities. And it was about two weeks before that camp, Flossenburg, was actually liberated by the Allies. Um, Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was seen as such an enemy to uh, the, the Nazi regime at that time that uh, he, was, he was killed for that. But while Bonhoeffer was in prison, he continued to be a pastor, he continued to be a theologian, he continued to be a writer. He wrote a number of letters from prison to his friends and family. Uh, it's published in a book called Letters and Papers from, Pr- from Prison. And he also wrote poetry. And this particular poem reflects um, on Bonhoeffer's own life while he was in prison. Um, now Bonhoeffer in prison was known as a pillar of strength to his other uh, prisoners. And also through his faith, he was a profound witness to his captors and his guards. But he wrote this poem in the midst of his imprisonment as he grapples with identity. And it's called, Who Am I? And he comes at the end. You'll find it. At the end, he comes to this incredible place of simplicity about who he is. It goes like this. It's a little long, so stay with me. Who am I? They often tell me, I step from my cell's confinement calmly, cheerfully, firmly, like a squire from his country house. Who am I? They often tell me I used to speak to my warders freely and friendly and clearly, as though it were mine to command. Who am I? They also tell me I bore the days of misfortune, equably, smiling and proudly like one accustomed to win. 
am I then really that which other men tell of? Or am I only what I myself know of myself, restless and longing and sick, like a bird in a cage, struggling for breath, as though hands were compressing my throat, yearning for colors, for flowers, for voices of birds, thirsting for words of kindness, for neighborliness, tossing in expectations of great events, powerlessly trembling for friends at an infinite distance, weary and empty at praying, at thinking, at making, faint and ready to say farewell to it all. Who am I, this or the other? Am I one person today and tomorrow another? Am I both at once a hypocrite before others and before myself a contemptible, woebegone weakling? Or is something within me still like a beaten army fleeing in disorder from victory already achieved? Who am I? They mock me, these lonely questions of mine. Whoever I am, thou knowest, O God, I am thine. Whoever I am, thou knowest, O God, I am thine. Above all else, as followers of Jesus Christ, regardless of circumstance or the opinions of other people, we are God's. We are God's people. And I think of no other better way that this gets conveyed in Scripture than in a number of passages that affirm the reality that we are God's children. We are God's children. In the Gospel of John, in the very first chapter, John chooses to open up with this kind of metaphor to tell us about who we are. First, uh, John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13 says this. But to all who did receive him, that's Jesus Christ, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Who are you? Children of God, identity not by profession, not by achievement, but defined by relationship. Children of God, the children of a God who loves us, receiving the love and forgiveness of people found in Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be a child of God. We are children of God at our very core, spiritually, physically, in our reality, because we are made so by our heavenly Father, who is the one who calls us his children. 1 John chapter 3, 1 through 2 says it like this. See what kind of love the Father has for us, this heavenly Father. See what kind of love he has for us, that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. 
the reason why the world out there does not know us is that it did not know him, didn't know Jesus. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we shall see him as he is. We shall be like him. We shall be like Christ in glory as children of God. Now I'm gonna say just a couple of brief things about what being a child of God is not and then I'm gonna share about three affirmations, three things about what it means to have our core identity simply and profoundly found in being the children of God. First of all, to be a child of God, it doesn't mean to be childish. It doesn't mean to be childish and immature. It doesn't mean to be helpless or disengaged or passive. It doesn't mean to be just like, oh, I'm a child of God, I can't do anything. I'm just useless. Not at all. It doesn't mean to be childish. It means to be childlike, to grow into maturity, to rely and trust on the goodness of God, to give our whole life over to God and to trust him with everything. But to be a child is to be holy and simply defined by the reality that we are in God's family. And then to live out of that place, to live out of that central identity. And so to be a child of God means these three affirmations. It means that as a child of God, we have an identity, we have an authority, and then we have a responsibility. First, our identity as a child of God. It means that you are a dearly loved individual by God, by the Almighty God. And that gives a value and worth to your life past your profession, beyond your achievement, and even beyond the opinions of other people around you. It gives you a value and a worth even in spite of your past and your failings. Because as children of God, we live now in a freedom from everything that even tries to define us out of our past. We are made new in Christ. Did you ever, you ever realize that failure is not a permanent state? It's not a permanent state. Scripture reminds us of this in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, when it says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. She is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You're a child of God. Behold, there is newness in your life. The old, the past, the failures, they don't define who you are. Recently, when a few of us went out to uh, City Team uh, in December time, that's the ministry down in San Jose to, to care for the people who are homeless, um, I had a chance to talk to the director. His name is Charles Knuckles. He's a remarkable man. And 
He is now leading city team, the director there, and he is ministering now to men and women in great need. They, they need help. Some of them are homeless. Some of them are struggling with substance abuse. And as, as, as Charles and I talked, he's just very free about sharing his story. He, he himself is personally familiar with that life, the struggles, drugs, homelessness, all of these things. But for him, that life has now passed away. And in Christ, in him, a new life has emerged. Not defined out of past, not, de- not defined out of struggles, not defined out of disappointment, but his life is transformed in Christ away from the street, now to be a Christian leader and a director in a place caring for and ministering to people who are also struggling on the street or struggling with addiction. This is what it means to be a child of God, to be transformed in a new reality and a new identity that who we are is to be living in the love of God. The second thing is that as a child of God, we have an authority. We now have a power. You might be asking, well, what is that? What is that power? What power do we have? We have, as children, now the authority as co-heirs of Jesus Christ. We, as children of God and co-heirs of Christ, we lay claim to an eternal life. Just like an heir lays claim in a will to what's passed down from a parent to a child, we as well as children of God lay claim and have an assurance and a confidence of an eternal life with God in heaven that everything that separates us from God will pass away. And as it says in 1 John, we shall be like him as he is. We shall be transformed into an eternal glory with God. That's the authority. If you're a child of God, you have that. And then third, as a child of God, we have a responsibility. There is a purpose to being a child of God. And that is to be the bearer of God's identity in the world. It's like a child. It's like a baby who bears the image of their mother or their father. One of the cool things for me about seeing like all these little guys, all these little munchkins running around here is I think I'm getting to know people well enough where I can like see somebody and go, oh, I, I think I see your father in you. Or I think I see your, your, your mom in you. You have your mom's eyes. As children of God, we bear the image of God in the world. We are to bear the likeness of God in the world. And because God loves the world, that's our responsibility as well, to deeply and profoundly love people, to love people beyond what people deserve, beyond what people are owed, 
but to profoundly love people the way that God loves the world. That's what it is to be a child of God. 1 John 4, 7 and 9 says it like this. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God. It's a child of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And this, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. That we as children of God might live a life of profound love in the world. As children of God, we live in love for the world through Christ and that means for us to live with compassion, to serve those in need, to celebrate life and joy, to rejoice with those who rejoice, to weep with those who weep, and to make Christ known as our Lord and Savior, the hope of the world. Will everyone who hears about Jesus Christ become a follower of Jesus Christ? You know, that's not for us to answer. That's for each person to decide. Ours is to live and love people in such a way that not only our words, but that our very lives are compelling invitations to consider Christ and to join into his family of people who are loved by God. So I'm gonna end with this. Who are you in the midst of all the things that could define us let me offer this simple response you are a child of god that's our identity our authority our responsibility and what's our purpose as children of god loving the world a child of god loving the world See, you are more than what you do. You are more valuable than what you produce. And you certainly are greater than the sum of your failures or the opinions of other people. You are a child of God, dearly loved by our Heavenly Father. Let's pray together. Lord God, I pray that you would pour out your love on us. That God, in our heart and in our mind and our soul, that we would know your embrace for us. God, it's so easy to get confused by who we are, pulled in a lot of directions in our identity. But God, you tell us that we are your children and that you love us. Your son, Jesus Christ, came to die on the cross for our sins. You gave your life for us. That's how much you love us. God, may we know deep down in our hearts and souls that you love us and that we can live out of that, your love for the world. Give you thanks, God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.